Okay, we're continuing uh, with the story of Moses, and uh, I'll pick up where I left off. Last time we were in Exodus 4. I'll say a little more about that in a moment. But we're going into chapter 5 now, which is, uh, it seems to me like the next step in Moses' preparation. You wonder how long this preparation will take. Uh, We've seen several phases in his getting ready to serve God in what was undoubtedly the biggest event in Jewish history, this coming out from Egypt and becoming uh, a people on the move and being God's special nation as they move through the Exodus. But still, it seems to me God is dealing with Moses the man. So I'm going to read uh, through chapter 5 with you. Afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and besides, I'll not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three-day journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Otherwise he'll fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses, Aaron, why do you draw the people away from their work? Get back to your work. And again, Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now many. Would you have them cease from their labors? So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and their foremen, saying, You are no longer to give the people straw to make brick as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the quota of bricks which they're making previously, you shall impose on them. You are not to reduce any of it, because they're lazy. Therefore they cry out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let the labor be heavier on the men. Let them work at it so that they will pay no attention to false words. So the taskmasters of the people and their foremen went out and spoke to the people saying, thus says Pharaoh, I'm not going to give you any straw. You go and get straw for yourselves, wherever you can find it. But none of your labor will be reduced. So the people scattered through all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters pressed them, saying, Complete your work quota, your daily amount, just as when you had straw. Moreover, the foremen of the sons of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not completed your required amount, either yesterday or today, in making brick as previously? Then the foreman of the sons of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why do you deal with us this way, with your servants? There's no straw given to your servants. Yet they keep saying to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are being beaten. But it's the fault of your own people. But he said, You're lazy. Very lazy. Therefore you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. So go now. Work for you will be given no straw, yet you must deliver the quota of bricks. The foreman of the sons of Israel saw that they were in trouble, because they were told, you must not reduce your daily amount of bricks. When they left Pharaoh's presence, they met Moses 
and Aaron, as they were waiting for them, they said to them, May the Lord look upon you and judge you, for you've made us odious in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. Father, thank you for the joy of worship. Thank you for the words that, Lord, we've found on our lips, the song, the truths we've sung out, just the sheer wonder of it all. And thank you, Father, that you're here with us now. And Father, thank you, you're committed to your word. And we ask you, Father, right now, please take this ancient story and make it relevant to us in our daily lives, in our 21st century lives. Holy Spirit, we invite you right now. Come to us. Be our teacher. Lead us into truth, we pray. Reveal Jesus to us. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So just to remind you, we've uh, been looking for four weeks now at Moses. We saw, first of all, how he was born at a terrible time when there was genocide. Babies are being slaughtered, but he's born into a household of faith, and he himself makes a faith choice not to be identified as a young prince, but to be identified with God's people and all that that involves, including God's promise that they are a peculiar, special, chosen nation. And he chooses that invisible thing rather than put all his confidence in this very tangible, powerful nation where he's a prince. He says, no, I turn my back on it. And we saw the step he took. We then saw how he presumed that he could act. He was a powerful guy. He was mighty in word and deed. He's used to sorting it out himself. And he tried and made a terrible mess of it and then ran away. And for 40 years, he's in the desert. And we see how suddenly God personally comes down and God says I've seen the plight of my people, I've heard their cry, I have come down to deliver them and I send you. A completely different deal, not just a guy having a go but God taking hold of someone saying you're going to be my instrument. And then last time in chapter 4 we saw how Moses' answer to that was no please somebody send somebody else and how God persuades him and draws him until now, this chapter really begins with Moses kind of fully geared. Uh, he's got signs and wonders. He can, uh, he can throw down a, a stick and it becomes a snake. He can pick it up again. He can, he can transform his hand in leprous and now it's not. And water into blood. Wow, this guy, I mean, he's all action. Now, this is the prepared man of God. We think, well, here we go. Here the story is going to break out. All the preparatory things happened. His own heart sorted. His awareness of a need of a call. A real face-to-face encounter with a bush that's burning and a God who speaks his name. I mean, this man is kind of invincible. And chapter 1, or at least verse 1, he starts with, Thus says the Lord, let my people go. And it ends with, Oh God, why did you ever send me? You haven't done anything like you said you'd do. It's a chapter of kind of devastation, really. It's a chapter where a a guy looks like he's invincible. I mean, he's commissioned by God. 
surely now, now, now the story can start. I mean, we've already been looking at kind of strange delays. Now we're on course. Surely we're going to get breakthrough. Surely everything is going to happen. But in fact, it's a chapter of obedience, conflict, and total disillusionment. With the big question at the end, why? Why? I think why is always the hardest question, isn't it? Uh, we have other questions, you know, when, when's, when's the house going to sell? Who am I going to marry? What course do I do? What sort of job? There's all sorts of how, when, what, where. But the biggest one I always feel is why? Why kind of sinks down into the depths and says, why? I'm, I'm bewildered. And here we're allowed to kind of see right into the bewilderment of this servant of God. And it's a reminder, dear friends, that we... We hit times in our lives, yours and mine, when we're completely bewildered. And they're some of the hardest times. When you hit things, you think, but why? I don't understand why. Why is this happening? And it's a cry that comes from deep in our hearts. And it's a cry that's coming from Moses' lips right now when he's pleading with God, what is going on here? You gave me a clear commission You equipped me, you empowered me, I confront Pharaoh, and suddenly, instead of being invincible, I feel totally impotent. Thus says the Lord, who is the Lord? I don't know the Lord. And suddenly, all your energy is drained out of your boots, and you're standing there hopeless, and saying, why did you put me in this situation? Why did you embarrass me? Why did you humiliate me? Why did you put me to death, publicly? And we go times like this. We hit times where... We just can't understand what's happening to us and why is it happening. So let's kind of get into this story. Let's see. First of all, I kind of have a first heading. Obedience doesn't necessarily bring immediate success. We tend to think it does. We tend to think, well, I've got it sorted now. We saw in chapter 4 how Moses had to get sorted. We saw how it says, strangely, it says the Lord was going to kill him. And he had some secret disobedience in his life. He hadn't circumcised his son, and he's the great lawgiver, and he hadn't even obeyed the law in his own life. And so quickly they circumcised the son. So quickly now he's, he's walking in obedience. He's doing what God told him. He said, they won't listen to me. God said, they will go. But we just need to see this first of all, that obedience doesn't necessarily bring the immediate breakthrough that he expected. He's completely rejected. He's apparently impotent. And not only that, the Israelite situation is made worse. Because of his intervention, life is not a little bit better or the same. It's become worse because he spoke. And, it, and he comes out from talking to, to Pharaoh, and as he turns, there they are waiting for him. And it's kind of, they kind of spit on him. Oh, thanks, Mo. Thanks a lot for that. You're a real blessing. You are, you know. God, you've made life worse for us. You're, a, you're the pits. So I think, God, this is terrible. Lord, I failed you and you weren't there and what's going on? And they've turned against him as well. So immediate obedience doesn't seem to have immediate response. But you think about that in the Bible. You'll find that, to be honest, it's not uncommon. Think of the Lord Jesus who waited for 30 long years. I wonder if you wondered about that. You know, when he was 12, he could answer the high priests, or at least the priests and the scribes, he was already brilliant, already perceiving things at 12. And then all through his teens, all through his 20s, waiting, waiting, waiting. 
And then age 30, he is baptized. He's presented on the public stage and, and the spirit falls on him uh, and the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son. You think, wow, here he goes. And then he's into the wilderness confronting Satan and totally vanquishing Satan. You think, boy, he's on course. It says he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and he stands, it says in Luke 4, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. And he quotes a very famous Old Testament passage which speaks of the coming of the Lord's servant. And then he says this, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. You think, boy, all the centuries have been waiting for this. Isaiah prophesied that 700 years ago. Here, here it comes, here it comes. And what happens? It says they were furious with him and tried to push him off a cliff. Think, huh? That's not what we expected. We've been waiting for centuries. Here's the hope of the nations. Here's the light of the world. And they want to push him off a cliff. That's not what you expect at the beginning of this ministry. But that's what happens. He completely hit with frustration, refusal. They won't hear him. They are enraged, it says. Then you find the apostles. The apostles, trained by Jesus for three years, they go through all their training lessons, experience their apprenticeship with Jesus. Then they go through the devastation of the cross where, if you like, all their self-confidence is eroded. Simon Peter runs away. They all say, we're not with him, you know. And then Jesus gathers them and then he empowers with the Holy Spirit. They're flooded with the Spirit. And they begin to preach, and the Sanhedrin say, if you do that anymore, you are in prison. And you saw what we did to him, we'll do the same to you. He said, hey, wait a minute, when we just started, you just sent, you know, don't speak anymore in that name. Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, and then in Acts 4, he says, there's no other name under heaven. It's like, thus says the Lord, shut up or you're in prison. Wow, what is this? It's the same thing, this sudden, sudden confrontation. And then you think of Paul later on. When Paul, he says he's trying to go this way, and he tries to go that way, and the Holy Spirit's forbidding him, then he gets this vision. Come over to Macedonia. He's got clear, supernatural guidance. Go to Macedonia. And then we read the story. He crosses over to Macedonia, and within days, he's in the inner prison, he's back is bleeding, he's locked up, he's in prison. Think, I was doing what God told me to do. What's going on here? And so the, the kind of, you know, you do the will of God and everything's fine. Well, that's not the whole story. You do the will of God and for Paul, you finish up in prison with your back bleeding. So there's a dilemma here. There's a dilemma, there's a challenge, and we can feel that, well, I only did what God told me to do. And it went wrong. And we, we kind of face our pharaohs, don't we? we? We face our situations where we think, well, I, I'm obeying the Lord. And it can be even when God's spoken to us over a, perhaps a, a particular season where we feel maybe I've not done so well. Maybe you came on our church weekend away together and you hear Ray Lowe talking about witnessing. And it all sounds like apples falling off a tree. It's all so easy and great. And why don't we do it more? And you think, yeah, I must do that. I will do that. And, uh, you know, maybe in the workplace, you start talking about Jesus. You, you, you say, this is a big step of obedience. I've held back before. I've been silent before. 
now I'm going to obey. And out you go on a limb. And instead of them saying, oh, thank you, I've always wanted to hear this. They say, who do you think you're talking to? You're telling me I'm not this? You're who do you think you are anyway? I said, well, no, 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 I didn't know. Who do you think you are talking to me about this? You don't expect me to believe that nonsense, do you? And then they talk to others. Have you heard about what he's doing? Oh, they're backing off me. And suddenly, instead of it going well, it goes badly. That happens in our life. We find we're rejected. Sometimes you can feel a, f- a fresh sense of call to pray. Maybe you feel your prayer life has not been what it was. And you set yourself a new course. Maybe you've been away again or something's happened. You think, well, I'm going to commit myself. And it's like you make a decision. You set yourself a new target. It's going to be different now. Only to find that when you do get another prayer, it's still as difficult as it was. Your mind still goes out the window. Your concentration still... You think, but I thought it would be different. Well, it's not very different. It's still tough. It's still difficult. My wandering thoughts... My faith goal seems to have drifted away. And you find, hey, it's not what I expected it to be. Maybe it's a relationship thing. And you feel God spoke to you and said, why don't you sort out that relationship? Why don't you go and speak to your father? Why don't you go and speak to your brother? Why don't you sort that out with your sister, your neighbor, whatever? And you, wow, you pluck up all the courage you can. Well, I've always left that, and yeah, we keep our distance. And God's saying to you, that's not good enough. You know, agreeing to differ, no, come on, do better than that. And you go to the person, and, it, and instead of it bringing reconciliation, it goes off in your face. See, we're not unfamiliar with these things. We're not unfamiliar with trying to do, and we think it's going to happen, and it doesn't happen. And so Moses is right in that situation, and he's big time, big time. He's, he's trying to be God's servant. And it's all going wrong for him. So, let's get into this if we can. Moses, it says, goes back to God, really. And let's just say that's the best, best thing you can do. So important. You go back to God. Because there's two or three things that God wants to sort out for us. First of all, the matter of our emotions. The second, our understanding. And third, our obedience. I want to look at those three things, all right? We need to go back to him. Because first of all, we're emotionally undone. That's what happens. It's kind of, he's, Moses is, I mean, he's just, he's just rejected. Thus says the Lord, I don't even know who the Lord is. Who is the Lord? It's totally dismissed. And it's almost like it's a slap around the face. And you can find that. You, can find, well, you feel personally rejected. That's very painful. Personal rejection is hugely painful. The sense of you don't count. Who is the Lord? Who do you think you are? And, and that's painful. We can feel in our hearts real pain. You get fear of what's going to happen again. Will I ever try again? And the danger is this. We have an enemy, the Bible calls the accuser, Satan, who will come in at such times to try and break your relationship with God. To make you back off your personal engagement with him. Because you you can't say to God, you're a liar. We don't have much courage to do that, do we? Say, he told me this and it didn't work. Although we dare not say, unless you're stupid, you're a liar. In your heart, you can't say that out loud. You can't live with those words. But in your heart, you feel, hey, 
What's going on? You said, and this happened. And so although we may not dare say, you know, in the meeting, I just want to share something this morning, God's a liar. So you can't do it. You can't, you can't go there. It's just impossible to go there. But in your heart, you're feeling, but where were you? We've been singing, your love never fails. But you messed up for me. I did what you said, and you didn't do what you said. That's what you're living with. And it's so important, dear friends, that we, we get through that. We have to get through that. We, we mustn't live in ambiguity. We mustn't live saying, well, I don't understand. And, and, and the danger is we do that. We just live with ambiguity. We just live with, well, I don't understand. But Moses was much wiser. He went right back to God. And you'll find the Psalms are like this. They just lay it out. He said, hey, what's going on here? You said, why did you ever send me? It's perfectly legitimate to go to God and say to God, Lord, what on earth are you up to? Why did this happen to me? That big why. Why, Lord, why? Because we need to get answers. We must not live at a distance from God. We must not, in our hearts, settle for, well, you can't really trust him. But that's the temptation. When this happens, the temptation... It's not to shout it out in the meeting, you can't trust God, but live with something in your heart that says you can't trust God. He doesn't do what he said. You dare not live there, we cannot live there, we need to bring it back to God. We need to get our hearts healed. We find that David, for instance, was sometime when he was leading his army out to battle, and it says while he was away, the enemy came in, destroyed their camp, took away their wives, their children, their goods, everything. And it says they wanted to stone David. Even his loyal friends turned against him, called yourself a leader, they wanted to stone him. And then you see this, it says David encouraged himself in the Lord. In other words, he got back to God. He couldn't understand it yet. He didn't know what's going on. It looks like it's a total disaster but he got back to God. He knew well enough. And the Psalms again and again say these sort of things. That you come back to God. You must come back to God. You must get your heart healed. We, you start walking at a distance from God. That you don't really trust him. You're in trouble. And so we hit situations, dear friends, where the big why comes up. And we can't understand the answer. Why didn't the house sell? I thought you told me. Why did that fall through? I, I, you surely led. Why did that job not... I thought, God, you gave me kind of peace that was going to happen. And so we come through times, friends, when the why goes very deep and hurts. It really hurts. Because you think, well, I love God. God loves me. And, but life's not easy. And you've got to come through and find your emotions get healed. God is a God who cannot lie. The God who cannot lie. I remember when I was um, first, when I first left secular work, and uh, I was doing door-to-door evangelism. Uh, you may have heard me testify before, I was the worst door-to-door evangelist ever. Uh, but I was living by faith, as they call it. I was trusting God, and, and the funds were getting lower and lower and lower. It was very, very difficult. And I thought, God, where are you? Well, this is embarrassing. I'm, I'm staying in this home of people who don't believe in Jesus. I've moved on to the estate. I'm here for the gospel's sake. <laughs> the money's not coming. 
uh, this is going to be very embarrassing. I'm here for you. What's going on? What's going on? And I, I do my daily reading and I turn over the page. I think, well, what's the next passage? I've got to read the next passage. And it's Titus. Oh, Titus. It's all about eldership appointments, deacons appointments, boring epistle. And, and, I, and I turn to it and the opening line says something like this. To Titus, the God who cannot lie. It just, it just came to my heart. The God who... It's one thing God cannot do. He can't lie. And when I saw it, my heart burst with joy. Because that is the true God. Now there will sometimes be bewilderment. And we keep going to go through this. Still working through it. There's bewildering times. When you think, I did exactly what God told me to do. And it has... Where are you, God. But you have to come back to, this is the God who cannot lie. God is not a man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, will he not do it? And we must come back to that ground. There's no middle ground, beloved. You don't stay in unbelief, and you don't stay in a middle kind of, well, who knows. That will not be any good to you. Nor is it reality. You have to come right back to know the God who can be trusted. And that means you have to get your emotions healed. You have to come back to the shepherd who restores your soul. One of the great things it says, the Lord's my shepherd, he restores my soul. Why does it say such a thing? Why does it talk about restoring? Because your soul gets beaten up, gets disappointed, gets distracted, and he's a great restorer. You must see your soul restored. Okay, so first of all, emotion. Can I ask you this morning, is your heart okay? Do you trust him? We say, oh, I don't know. I, keep, I get up trusting. I, I just come along. I'll be here. I'll be here. I'll be on the welcome door. I'll, I'll do. But I, I'm too messed up inside. But I want to appeal to you this morning. Let's come through that. That's not the way to live the Christian life. Don't stay there. It means you have to have dealings. It means you have to come to God like Moses said. Why did that happen? You sent me. You bring it to God. Moses is still being prepared. We're getting to the next chapter. We'll see. Like from now on, there's no stopping him. But he's got to get through this chapter first. Then the next thing I think I said first of all is emotion. Second, understanding. See, why did you send me? I expected it to be different. But you know, if you read, the extraordinary thing is this. Actually, Moses is on course. And he didn't read the small print. He didn't, he didn't listen carefully. Jesus said, take, care, take heed how you hear. <laughs> Quite plainly, Exodus 3.19, the king of Egypt will not permit you to go, except under compulsion. God had already told Moses, it won't happen straight away. He won't let you go. Go and say, thus says the Lord, let my people go. And God tells him in advance, but he won't let you. Moses didn't hear that bit. We don't like hearing that bit. We like, here I am, God's man of faith and power. It's going to happen. And God said, no, it won't happen. Because actually, the, the plagues and the phenomenal signs and wonders and the demonstration of God's awesome authority... As we look at the plagues later, I think we're going to find that every plague 
is declaring war on some kind of god that they worshipped. They worship the sun, so God blots it completely out. And, and there's an incredible display of the power of God. God knows it's going to take a great display of his power to bring them out. So first meeting, Moses, he won't hear you. Moses didn't hear that bit. Moses says, let my people go. No. What? God's already said to them, they won't hear you. He won't hear you. So there has to be a kind of a, a real understanding in our minds. And God will answer questions if we look more carefully. To be honest, he doesn't answer every question. You find Job. What a tragic, terrible story the book of Job is. And Job's asking all these questions, and in the end, God actually doesn't answer any of his questions. He just comes forth and says, where were you when I created? It's like, are you asking me? And sometimes we do have to settle for that. But difference is you do come to the place where you settle with it. You don't live in no man's land. You've got to come back. And, and Job did. Job, that was enough for Job. When God spoke to him and said, where were you? Who do you think you are? Kind of thing. Job doesn't live in no man's land. He, he puts his heart totally back in trust with God. But here God is happy to explain. You find the disciples are trying to cast out a demon. And I can imagine, in the name of Jesus, get out. And nothing's happening. And then Jesus comes and says, why couldn't we cast it out? It's the same sort of picture. Why didn't that happen? And Jesus replies. He said, this kind doesn't come out by anything but by prayer. Some of the old ancient documents added and fasting, but it's not in the original and you won't find it in modern translations. But it's only through deliberate prayer, only through a prayer life. Actually, again, we won't get into it greatly because Jesus didn't pray, he just got the thing out. But he was a man who dwelt in prayer all the time. He was a man deeply in prayer, whereas these disciples were deeply into arguing with one another and saying, who's biggest in the kingdom? And uh, they weren't ready and Jesus, no, you're not prayerful. There was an answer for them. Again, you find, well, they didn't, we preached the gospel to them and didn't hear us. I mean, you said, yeah, I said this, if they don't hear you, shake the dust off your feet and go to the next town. Did you say that? I thought you said we'd be successful everywhere. No, I said, if one place won't hear you, shake off the dust. Oh, I didn't hear that bit. I hope we'd be successful wherever we went. Now, in the small print, there'll be those who say no. But I went to my friend, and I tried to reconcile, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't. You said, go and reconcile, but they wouldn't. Then you find this, as far as it is with you, live at peace with all people. In other words, sometimes they won't live at peace with you. You try hard to reconcile, but they won't. And so the Bible says, as far as it's with you, you live in peace. You don't retaliate. You don't say, oh, if that's the way she's going to be, I'm not. No, 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 you don't do that. You don't do that. As far as it is with you, you live at peace. You make every effort, it says in Ephesians 4, to maintain the unity of the Spirit. You make every effort. It doesn't guarantee that everyone says, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, thank you for coming. Oh, this is wonderful. They say, what do you mean? I always thought it was your fault anyway. And you say, oh, God, I'm trying to reconcile, and it's got worse. And the Bible simply says, as far as it up with you, 
you do your part. It doesn't promise you and guarantee that they will soften and fellowship. You say, well, what's the point of doing it then? You do it to obey God. You see, that brings me on really to my third point. Why do we obey? We talked about our emotion, we talked about our understanding, and we talked about our obedience. You see, do we obey if we think it'll work? Or do we obey because we're told to do it? You say, well, I went to her, I tried to reconcile, and she didn't reconcile. I could have told you that would happen. So why did I bother? Because God said do it. Why do you go to Pharaoh? God told him to. See, we like to think if we did what we're told, we'll get success. And so success is pretty attractive. And it may be subtly, we're not necessarily living with obedience. We're looking, we want just to be successful. And so to do something which we don't know will be successful is not at all attractive. And so, well, yeah, to, to witness about Jesus. You know, if, if I've got a story next week, I spoke to a guy at work, he used to be a Jehovah's Witness, this happened, he became a Christian. Whoa! No, I spoke to a guy at work and he cuts me off now. Not such a bright testimony. But we obeyed. And, and I think this is what's being dealt with here. We expect if we obey, we'll be successful. When God's looking for an obedience, that is simply because he says so. Success, yes, often will come. Fruitfulness is God's purpose for us, ultimately, as we'll see shortly. But we don't give up because it doesn't work. See, well, I tried praying again. My brain still went out of the window. Jesus said this, men ought always to pray and not give up. Bottom line. Why do I pray? God, Jesus said so. Pray and don't give up. What's the easiest thing to do? Give up. Prayer is tough. No, we pray and don't give up. Why? Because he says so. Because he says so. And we're going to go on to chapter 6 where we begin to see God's ultimate purpose does outwork. But first of all, this guy is getting absolutely drained. That's what I feel about the call of Moses, that this guy was powerful he was mighty in word and deed. He was resourceful. And if, this, if there's any chapter in the whole story of Moses that really kind of puts him to death, this is the chapter. It's like, oh, I cannot do this. Chapter 6 starts, as we'll see next time. God speaks. He says, I am the Lord. I will, I will, I will, I will, I am the Lord. And it's like, now we're in a new day. It's like John Wimber said, God said to him one day, I've seen your ministry. I'm not very impressed. Now I'll show you my ministry. It's like he stepped into a new day. He went through a terrible time. And he stepped into incredible fruitfulness. But sometimes it's through a draining experience where we put no confidence in the flesh at all. And it looks terribly negative. It, look, it looks like ah, being de- I'm being destroyed. My personal, re- my reputation. The other brothers are saying, thank you Moses, you made our lives misery. You know, it's just going through such pain. But it's like he's putting him to death. Or allowing him to be put to death. 
And then we'll see a phenomenal, a phenomenal resurrection taking place. And it comes so often through this kind of, why? Why? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death in ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. That's a phenomenal verse. We have the sentence of death. You can go through such times where you think, all my hopes were there. My hopes were in that. That person, that job, that guidance. I put all, I put all my eggs in that basket. And it collapsed. And Paul says, we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. So we despaired of life. It was the point. Where is this taking me? You've gone through that maybe? You think, God, this is just so hard. And Paul says, I've been there. And Moses is effectively saying, I've been there. And, and this is before chapter 6 is going to break out with the breathtaking kind of fireworks of these mighty demonstrations of God's power. But God has eroded this man of all self-confidence. Because God will use the weak things. And he'll use those who just put no confidence in the flesh. He said, we're the true circumcision who put no confidence in the flesh. We we had the sentence of death that we may not trust in ourselves, but this wonderful last phrase, but in him who raises the dead. This is the miracle that believers experience resurrection. There'll be ultimately, as we heard in the meeting this this morning, there'll be ultimately an actual resurrection. But in life, you keep on getting raised from the dead. I don't know how many times I've been raised from the dead. Times you think, I just want to die. Or sometimes when I remember speaking on a stonely platform, you speak to thousands of people and you speak an absolute rubbish sermon. And you, and you just want to go and die somewhere. And uh, I remember skulking away. And Wendy saying, you all right? No, I'm not. You know, I want to die. God allows you to die. But you may not trust in yourself. But in him who raises the dead. Our experience, beloved, is God keeps raising you. He doesn't give up. He will lift you. Simon Peter, early on he says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. When he denies Jesus at the cross, it's like, I am finished. I'm a waste of time. And Jesus comes to seek him. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Jesus' resurrection means he can have a resurrection. He can come through again. God would say that to us this morning. Some of us who feel, I don't understand, why is this happening to me? Jesus would say, no, come on, I've got something for you. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. I can, I can start a game with you. I can bring you back to life again. And this is what happens. Paul speaks about it. And so I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. I'll just read to you a famous passage. It says in verse 7, We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We feel that sometimes. Such an earthen vessel. You know, it's just a clay pot. It's not a very brilliant thing. We have this treasure in a clay pot so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God, not us. 
We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. See, Paul was perplexed. Isn't that comforting? Paul, well, I don't. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested. We find this resurrection life, this ability to start again, is always there with Jesus. He comes to us. He brings us through. So, we know such experiences, beloved. We go through such pain. And Moses did. Moses went through this time of devastation and comes through the other side. As I said at the beginning, I think the biggest question we ever ask is, why? Why does this happen? What's it all about? And to be honest, it undergirds the whole of life, really. I've, I've just been meditating through Romans in my own morning devotions. I'm just going through that Romans 8, where it says the whole creation is groaning. The whole creation. And as Carly led us in prayer this morning so beautifully, we, our news, I mean, it's like day after day, it's terrible news. It's like the whole creation is groaning. You can't believe they do that. And then they did this, and we're talking thousands. And and it says, the whole creation is groaning. And then Paul says this in Romans 8, and we also. We can't opt out. We have experiences ourselves in our lives, and we're part of this groaning world, that we groan within ourselves, Paul says. It's like we're part of this fallen world. You can't escape it. You can't have an easy path. You will have times when you groan on the inside. Why? What's going on? I can't bear it. And the world's looking on saying, this is terrible. And then the Christian cannot be outside of that. We also know what it is to groan. Paul says we groan. We, Christians, our testimony, we groan. We don't have many songs like that. We all groan. But we do. That's what the Bible says. We groan. There are times when it's deep kind of, Lord, why, why, why? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to the church? Why are we meeting such frustration? Why do we have to get out of the building? Why do we have to find another one? What's going on? Things we don't understand. Why? Before I close, let me just remind you of one who came right down to where we are and asked the why question. Every time Jesus prayed... He prays and teaches us to pray, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. There's that tenderness, there's that easy accessibility. Abba is that intimate word. We might say Papa or Dada, Abba. Easy thing to say. A little child says it. And it just speaks of intimacy. And every time Jesus prays, it's Abba, it's Abba. You pray. When you pray, you say Abba, say Father. But on the cross... When it says, and the whole world grew dark. From noon, everything went dark. The very first word in Genesis chapter 1 is, let there be light. Now this light of the world is going into intense darkness. And this one who says, the Father always hears me. And says, the Father's always with me. Now he goes right into bearing our guilt bearing our shame, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us, 
Letting Jesus bear our guilt. Jesus became the guilt bearer. He became the scapegoat that went away. He's the one bearing the curse. And in that moment, the father turns away. There is no one to comfort. There is no answer from heaven. My God, that's all he can say. Jesus has been there. Beloved, if you feel, I've never felt so lost, so bewildered. Jesus has been there. Jesus stood there. Jesus was hung there. When he cried out, why have you forsaken me? Jesus would speak to us and say, no, I know. I know the agony. You live in a world where Solomon, who's arguably the wisest man in all the world, he says, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Could translate the word futility. Everything is futile. Everything is pointless. That's what he's saying. Wisest man in all the world. Ecclesiastes, under the sun. Instead of under the throne of God. Humanly speaking, everything's futile. What's the point? Jesus has gone deep into the depths of that and said, why? Why have you forsaken me? But praise God, we know, we know that's not the end of the story. But he wants us to know he stood where we stand. He wants us to know that he didn't need to. He, he dwelt in unapproachable light. He, approached in, he, he dwelt in eternal glory. And because of his love for you and me, he's come right down to where you don't get any lower than Jesus got. You say, oh, no one knows the trouble I've seen. Jesus knows more trouble than you can even imagine. He's gone lower than we'll ever dream of going. He bore more sorrow, more bewilderment than we've ever borne. Jesus bore in himself the curse, the horror of a God, a Father who turned away from him, and the fury of his holiness. He bore it on the cross. And he wants us to know out of his love he comes right down to us. And this morning he's coming to you and saying, I understand. Sometimes you'll find the answers in the small print. Sometimes yeah, you, didn't, you didn't look closely enough. I said this actually. Sometimes you'll find answers there. Sometimes you'll find answers in just God saying, I am who I am. Trust me. But will you this morning? As we close, let me just ask you, will you say, no, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I will put my confidence in you. I'm not going to live in the shadows. Don't live there, dear friends. It's, sub, it's sub-biblical Christianity. It's just, oh, I come to church. I do what I can. I stopped trusting God years ago. Or last week. Or yesterday. It hurts so much. Now we've got to come through with the why. Moses comes through this why. And if you have time, we'll look at it next week when we gather. You'll find chapter 6 begins with, I am the Lord. And then you get, I think, 6 or 7. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I am the Lord. And then, you can't stop Moses. But he he hits the bottom first. And then he knows a resurrection of God's ability to keep him on course. Let's not be Stoics. Right? We've not been called to be Stoics. The Stoics were philosophers who said there are no problems. It's kind of personified in the British stiff upper lip. There are no problems. I don't know if you've been watching any of these First World War documentaries on television. It was the age of the stiff upper lip. It was the British you just keep going, man. You kind of without feeling. That's real stoicism. It's like you are self-sufficient. 
you know, it's tough. And get, no, that's not gospel. The gospel is finding Jesus who heals. And time doesn't heal, Jesus heals. And sometimes we're bewildered, we must take our bewilderment to him. Will you do that this morning? Say, Lord, I just bring it to you. I don't understand it, but I want you to know I trust you. Let's do that. Let's get back with him. Let's get fresh in his presence. Let's live in his presence. Let's stand to pray, and then we'll sing, if we may. And there are people here this morning who'd love to pray with you. They've prayed with others. They're, they're, they're pastorally loving and wise. And they're available if you'd like to be prayed for. So we'll point you in that direction in a moment when we pray. Let's all just pray first. Father, thank you. You speak to us. Thank you. You can take an ancient story and make it relevant to us. And we, we just come to you right now, Lord. And some of us especially just want to say, Lord, we don't understand. We just say it to you, Lord. We thought it would be solved long ago. We thought we had your guidance. We expected you were going to turn up. And we feel just dropped. We feel you're not interested in us. We feel hurt. And, and we just bring that to you, Lord Jesus, because we know, we know you're the God who cannot lie. And Father, I just want to pray this morning for everyone here. I pray for an ability to cross that bridge and come back onto good soil again. We don't want to live on the other side of the bridge. We don't want to live at a distance from you, just all hurt. We want to live with you, Jesus. And Lord, we, we, we just pray for one another this morning. We pray for dear friends, Lord, to the right and the left of us. We don't know what people go through. We don't pretend to know, but we know you know. And Lord, we ask you, Lord, for healing this morning, please. We pray for a real sense of refreshing, renewing encounter, trust again. I pray for fresh trust in marriages which look desolate or dangerous. I pray for fresh trust. I pray for trust for people who have been waiting a long time for things to work out. Help us, Father. I pray for any who've just recently had such a shock, such a surprise, such a... Lord, I just pray, just renew, refresh, come to us, Lord. Give us the guidance we need. We long to hear that voice that says, I will, I will, I will. Lord, keep leading us on. We thank you this is not the end of the story. We thank you Moses was actually right in the center of your will. Everything was perfect from a heavenly perspective. He was absolutely on course. This is exactly what you knew would happen. Lord, we want to trust you like that. That on course, we're right in the center of your will. We can trust you. Help us in it, Father. Bless your word to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.